Hey everybody, welcome back to the Creating with Impact podcast. This week is going to be another interview episode and I am super, super excited for this one. Um, This is somebody that I have been taking uh, online yoga classes from for a while and kind of been following her career a little bit for the past few years and she's super awesome. So I'm super, super excited to have her on the podcast. Um, She is a yoga teacher And she also runs Emerge, which is an eight-week online trauma-informed inquiry program that explores addiction through the lens of yoga, Buddhism, neuroscience, and psychology. And then just a quick note uh, before I start the interview, um, her Wisdom of the Shadow course is going to be starting on January 5th which is a collective immersion into the darker corners of the soma and psyche. So be sure to check that out. I will go ahead and link that as well as her uh, website in the episode notes. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. Are you searching for a natural way to find peace, focus, and balance in your busy life? Look no further than Monk Personal Essential Oil Diffusers. Whether you need to unwind after a long day, boost your energy, or simply find a moment of calm amidst the chaos, Monk has the perfect blend for you. Say goodbye to stress and embrace a more mindful approach to life. And as an added bonus, you can use code CREATINGWITHIMPACT for 10% off. Your journey to a happier and healthier you starts now. Whenever I first came to yoga, the first, well, the first time I ever did yoga, I was in a drug and alcohol rehab. So that's the first time I was introduced to yoga. And that's the way that I came to it. And I remember kind of putting it to the side and being like, okay, wow, there's really something here. But, um, and if I ever get sober and I wasn't planning on it, then I'd come back and sort this out. Cause they felt like two very different, very different lives. And about five years later, I did. I did get sober, not really willingly, but I was to that point where, where that was the route I needed to the only route I had left. And I started going to yoga again. I was living at a sober living house. And I think I had found like one of those 30 days for $30 or 30 days free or something like that in downtown Austin. It was a wanderlust Austin. And I just started going every day, every day, every day. And it supported me so much. And I mean, I can talk about that later about the the hows and the whys, but it really just to someone who was in this really dark addiction, it really just felt like magic. It just felt like, I don't know why this is working, but it was so supportive. Um, So that was a really big trajectory. And I ended up getting my teacher doing my teacher training in that same studio, probably, I don't know, six months, a year later or something. Um, it had just rapidly and it had rapidly shifted my life among many other things. And I wanted to stay really close to it. And I didn't know if I would teach. I didn't really know. I didn't have any plans. I didn't know I was starting fresh with my life. And I just knew that I needed to be close to a yoga practice. So that's how that began. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like how kind of getting a little bit into the hows and whys, 
Um, what were some of the specific things that you noticed, like when you first started going in terms of like how it was helping you in terms of um, kind of like the the community around yoga? Because I've kind of noticed that, especially um, in Austin, too. I feel like there's such a, a big community of um, people like practicing, teaching um, and a bunch of different kind of like resources around that. Yeah. And yoga is, you know, yoga is so broad. There's so many different styles, but for me, just from the get go, oh man, well, with my addiction, I was so separate from everything. So I really think that these little tiny movements of connection, internal connection, like a breath and a movement, like inhale, lift your arms. Like I don't want to underestimate the power of little things like that. And really it's somatic. It's really just a a somatic connection of getting back in touch with my body because I was absolutely not in touch with much of anything. Um, so breath and movement, um, being able to move in community, there's a really palpable energy to that as well, especially kind of coming out of, you know, lots of shame. So there's probably a piece of that. Um, there was probably some somatic connection to breath and music, Um, I had really good teachers that weren't just doing a physical asana practice. They were always bringing in some really interesting inquiry or, um, questions around, you know, life. And I, I so remember being in there in class and I'd be like, how do they know? Like, how do they know? Like they would say something that felt so personal to me. So I started to also learn how, oh, this is part of the human condition, you know, so all these little things that feel kind of little, but they were all compiled and happening like in that one hour of my day. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like this really dense shift of something that was in a very big contrast to the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, um, that's what made it so, whoa. And also just feeling the strength in my body, the, the flux, the, the openness in my body, um, I've always been, whenever I was younger, I was really into sports. Like I was quite connected to my body and then that just got lost along the way. So I think reopening that relationship um, was also a really powerful thing for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, So kind of in like the, um, the inquiry portion of uh, the yoga classes, did you ever encounter like any sort of resistance to that or was pretty much everything that they were saying just kind of like resonating with you and that or if there's any resistance that you encountered in other areas too how did you kind of like overcome that i was resistant to most everything um not not as much in yoga but i really wasn't like whenever i was trying to get sober and trying to get into this like healing path i just know one of this a friend of mine now that was the um, director of one of the rehabs I went to, I went to many, but she said, Cole, she goes for three months, you were like trying to throw a tiger into a pool. And I'm like, I believe it. That's, that was kind of my MO, but yoga felt like it softened me. And it was speaking to a lot of the things, the same things like in the recovery world, but it was wrapping it up in a, a little bit of a different terminology. So I guess a lot of the recovery world was AA focused and I had a lot of resistance around any sort of 
religiosity terminology, but for some reason I could then absorb kind of the same message, but with different lingo around it in the yoga world. But it's still tilted. So still happening in the yoga world a little bit whenever it would tilt too far into things like souls. And, you know, like it could get it could get a little bit too um, too much on that side as well. But for the most part, I was able to connect with these connect with these concepts of recovery and wholeness and things like this. But I was able to do so in a in a better way. And I couldn't just go into any yoga class. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, because you've likely been to many yoga classes and you just don't resonate with everyone, but Austin has some great teachers and mm-hmm. I was being in front of some great teachers. I was going uh, to Shelby at be free yoga a lot. Giaconda Parker, um, downtown, uh, wanderlust. I was just really grounded, grounded and authentic. And that is, that was my style grounded, authentic. I'm not trying to be this super spiritual person or this, whatever. It's just like, no, it's muck and it's grit. And, you know, that is what resonated with me. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't just fully open. I was more open than I was in the recovery world. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of my mission since throughout this whole time is to try to blend those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like sometimes like the, um, the more spiritual part of yoga is like, is really, really awesome for some people. And then sometimes it's just like, it starts to kind of like, I guess, like for lack of a better phrase, kind of like turn people off because they kind of start seeing it as like, oh my gosh, I have to be like religious. And that's totally not, (laughs) not how it is at all. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can totally backfire. And again, it just, it's the same template of a lot of religion just put in different verbiage, you know, and when sometimes it looks so similar in certain ways and this seeking something outside of us seeking, um, this purity or yeah, then it's really the same thing in different, in a different costume. So I like to kind of bring that all back down, bring that all back down to earth. And that is what I was resonating with whenever I was looking for teachers as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't have words for it at that point, but I was just like, yeah, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some like, I guess, common misconceptions that you've dealt with either in the addiction recovery realm or in the yoga realm or both? Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, how did you kind of, um, like deal with those misconceptions? Yeah, well, I think that there's definitely misconceptions everywhere. There's stigma, there's stereotypes. Uh, for the for like the recovery world, it would be um, what an addict looks like or what an alcoholic looks like. Like most of us can probably close our eyes and we might we may come up with a similar picture of what that looks like, which um, really keeps us from seeing like the addict part in all of us, like that we all have this part of us that wants rather than saying like an addict looks like that or an alcoholic looks like that. And then we can separate ourselves, but really we all have this part, part of us that wants this part of us that craves. And it comes out in many, many different ways. Um, And we're all on that spectrum somewhere. Buddhist cosmology talks about that. They call it the hungry ghost, that it's this part of us that all of us have, and it just looks differently, but the stigma happens whenever we think that it's them and not me or me and not them. So that's, you know, that's a really big misconception. Um, 
I really try to speak to that and emerge a lot. One of the programs, recovery programs that I run, that is, uh, this is a human thing. We have to pull it back into being human. It pulls us out of shame and it also pulls us down from a pedestal and like puts us all in the same boat, which is very important. Um, in so that's kind of a big piece there. And in the in the yoga world, that that yoga has to look a certain way. And damn, I mean, marketing has done such a great job at making yoga look like it needs to be a certain way. So it's yeah, a slow unwind and relearning of what it is and how many different ways it can look. And it doesn't even have to be asana. You know, the postures being only one thing. Um, yeah, that it's really about, you know, kind of reconnecting and coming back to wholeness in a way. And that happens in so many different ways. And the longer that I'm on this path of yoga and, you know, other paths, Buddhism, di different things like this, is that the branches just get wider. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger rather than it being like, oh, yoga is like this. You know, like the more I stick with it, the broader it gets. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to be bored. So definitely. I kind of want to come back to um, something that you said too, um, is the the like me and not them kind of thing and like the separation and it kind of just reminds me of like um like reading about this concept of like the other where it's just yeah. everything like every like you see yourself as like separate from everything else and I feel like I mean I don't know if you also feel this way but I feel like it could just be kind of one of the main underlying things that can cause all of these issues like whether it's addiction or depression or anxiety or just like anything related to like mental health or just honestly mm -hmm. how the world kind of interacts <laughs> with itself i feel like that's kind of um just like this common issue that i feel like every everyone and like every country and like everything just like deals with and it ends up just causing way more issues. I wonder if you could like talk a little bit more about that too. Yeah. I think to put it in a nutshell, we're humans. Our greatest survival mechanism is that we can um, connect with each other, that we can cooperate. Uh, we have to connect with each other in order to survive. Like human babies are by far the most un, uh, autonomous beings like they can do nothing for themselves like they we literally will, would not survive if we didn't connect and bond mm -hmm. so if this is one of our this is probably our greatest need it's our biological mandatory need that we that we connect that it makes sense that the greatest fear that we had would be that we don't you know so the flip side of that is we all have some sort of story of not belonging, some sort of story about being other than the separate self. And, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about like the self, um, the, the illusion that we have of ourself is the, one of the greatest sources of suffering that we think that we are different from everybody else in the way that we separate. And then the way that we're always trying to get past that separation, but we get stuck in lots of places, either trying to belong or trying to stay separate. Um, so you can kind of imagine how that really drives our behavior through our life. Like, how do we try to connect? And then how do we try to hide from the fear of not connecting 
Like that's kind of like the whole drama, the whole human drama. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so since you've kind of like lived in different areas, are there certain things that you've noticed where um, like different countries or states or anything like that, are there differences in kind of how they go about um, handling things like dealing with mental health and like addiction and things like that? Have you kind of noticed that or has everybody kind of been on the same page? Oh no, it's, it's definitely all over the board. And I don't know, I don't have like a, a meta analysis on this, but it would be really interesting. It's something I've always wanted to do was to figure out like what it was like to be, you know, a person living with addiction in different countries mm-hmm. and how that process is. I've always thought it would be so fascinating because, you know, I feel fairly lucky to be somebody who dealt with addiction, middle-class, white, in the U S even though our system is screwed too, but a lot of people don't have a system for it. Uh, some systems are, they chain you to a tree and do an exorcism because they think they have a demon in you or, you know, who, who knows, or it's just, it's just rampant. There's lots of different ways that it's, that it's dealt with in Philippines. Currently, they're just killing you. There's a lot of vigilante killing right now from the the government saying you're doing us a favor if you kill the drug addicts. It's a big, it's crazy. Um, So it's like how fortunate I feel to live in a culture that is really relatively learning, unlearning and relearning kind of what this thing is. And it hasn't always been like that, but we're definitely a lot more so than other places. Definitely. Um, So kind of going a little bit on like another branch, what, um, what kind of advice would you have for people who like maybe want to try yoga, but are a little bit hesitant, um, especially if they are, um, like how you got started, if they're in addiction recovery or things like that, and they've just, they're completely new to yoga, but they're kind of like hesitant to try it. Hesitant and curious and hesitant. Curious and hesitant. Yeah. (laughs) You would be in very good company if you were curious and hesitant, because a lot of people are like that. Um, As you know, I've taught on YouTube for a really long time. And one of the most common things that I get or questions or things people write in with is they'll say that I'm nervous to go to a yoga class. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of people who come to retreats that have actually never practiced in a live studio with anyone before, because there is this, yeah, there is this image of what we feel like yoga is going to be like you have to be flexible you got to be thin you got to wear the right clothes all of these like stipulations that we again separate ourselves from but it's just it's just about moving and breathing this is asana yoga there's actually lots of yoga you don't even have to move um but like an asana practice it's just a movement and a breath it's just reconnecting with your body and it can look lots of different ways there's restorative yoga, which are like little mini naps. There's yin yoga where you're just holding long poses, like three minutes and then you flip and it's very, you know, it can be very relaxing. There's just such a broad, such a broad um, spectrum of it that it can really suit, find something that suits. But the general objective philosophy for me anyway, is that you're just reconnecting with with your body, with the Soma 
um, little breath and movement, noticing how we feel when we feel it. We get so stuck up in our heads that, what did I hear the other day? Something about somebody had said, like, we tend to overthink when we've forgotten how to feel. I'm like, God, that resonates. I can be up in my head all day, but we've lost this pathway, you know, into the body. So that's really the objective. So whether that, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. is open. How do you think um, yoga can, or do you think that yoga can kind of start to build this like resilience um, in people um, and kind of like help them kind of come back to like this steady state when, especially if they're dealing with um, like mental health issues, addiction, or if they're just, they just have like an insanely stressful, busy life, especially if they're like entrepreneurs or creators of some sort. Um, do you think that yoga can kind of help them build that like resilience and kind of like being able to like handle that, that tough part in life? I think that it definitely can, especially if you're kind of looking at it through that lens. I mean, other things can as well, but for just a little visual, like talk about the window of tolerance, which isn't the best word. We don't want to just tolerate things, but window of tolerance is, this is like our optimal level of like dealing with life and the shit that life brings. It's like, okay, I can deal with this. And then there's things that are outside of that window where you're like, absolutely, I can't deal with it. And it is going to like piss me off and like agitate me. And then there's other things in life where it goes the other way. And we're like, oh, I can't deal with this. And we kind of shut down. So that's this little, essentially talk speaking about our nervous system. But if we want to build and we want to expand our window of what we can deal with, our window of like being with life rather than having to run or react or to shut down. Um, then I believe that an asana practice, a yoga practice, meditation can definitely build that ability. And it's really about learning how to pause. It's learning how to like come back. You can do so say in uh, like a stronger asana class, it's finding things that are a little bit challenging So in the body, it might resonate or register as a little bit outside of the window intolerance, like, oh, this is hard, but then can you breathe steady, which then patterns pulling you back into, oh, this can be hard and it's okay. So we can't speak with words to our nervous system, but these somatic practices, which is what an asana practice is, can help us recalibrate the messages that our nervous system is receiving. You can do that. You can think about in another example, like in yin yoga, you hold poses that are, you know, mainly on the ground, but you might be in like a twist that is, you know, a little bit challenging and you hold it for a long time. So the poses are often really challenging, but you're just cued to, to, can you stay, can you stay and meet whatever's happening? Can you meet the mind saying, get the fuck out of here? Can you meet the, you know, the body with, you know, a little bit of, Ooh, this is a little bit frictiony. And can you still breathe? Can you meet it? And that's really what it is. It's like, can we meet life? And can we slowly incrementally expand our ability to meet life without running or reacting? And I think absolutely that our practices can help us do that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, So in terms of kind of 
coming back to the breath and kind of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess is how I would say that. Um, are there any like breathing techniques um, uh, that you would suggest for like a beginner um, that might be kind of in like a high stress environment um, or something like that to kind of just help them come back to their breathing, come back to their body and just kind of like relax or if not relax, then to just be kind of more content with where they're at. Yeah. And there's lots of different practices just for a short, like for like a little tiny nutshell here is that when we're stressed, the body tends to hold the breath. The shoulders kind of go up. We kind of clench in a little bit. So we can't tell ourselves to calm down, but what we can do is like really elongate our exhale. And that sends the message to the body because the body doesn't understand language. So really long exhales, really deep sighs. <sighs> like I'll actually audibly sigh a lot. Also the sound kind of reverberates with the vagus nerve, which is the part of us that helps our system soothe. So any type of <sighs> humming is really helpful. And then the emphasis on the exhale, like any of that is just really, really simple. Um, sometimes you can like, just take a big breath in hold it for a second and then try to make it as long as you can. But if you're elongating the exhale, putting more weight and more attention on the exhale, then um, that's starting to settle the system. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. And I feel like that, that definitely makes sense. Cause I feel like when we're stressed, we almost kind of like naturally just like have this thing of just like, uh, <laughs> just like letting it all out kind of verbally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is the body trying to, trying to find a homeostasis. <laughs> like, <laughs> just get it out. <laughs> like um, this excess energy. That's yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, emerge recovery and kind of like the background, like how that came into being and um, what it is for people who might not know? Yeah. So Emerge, I started God, probably five or six years ago now because there's this like umbrella of recovery, especially whenever I was getting sober. I spent, yeah, about a decade in and out of rehabs and treatments and AA rooms and it's, there was like pretty much one way touted for a really long time and a long time before me as well. And essentially they said, if this doesn't work, there's really not much hope. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working. And that was, felt pretty hopeless there. Eventually I found and wove together a, you know, recovery that worked for me with therapy and yoga and community. Um, but what I, and Buddhist psychology and lots of different, different things. And I really wanted to create a program for the people who didn't fall under this umbrella. So that's kind of where it came from. So it's a blend of somatic movement, asana, Buddhist recovery, which Buddhism is a freaking recovery program. Like just the way it's written, like you don't even have to change it. It's just, it's speaking to that. Um, we bring in modern, um, psychology, like internal family systems, attachment theory, 
things like that. Um, meditation, mindfulness, lots of self-inquiry, um, trauma education. It's just grief work, emotional literacy. There's so much. And this, I think I mentioned, I've been to like six rehabs. I've been in and out of detoxes. I've been through all the things and the programs are not very good. (laughs) The ones that I've been to. So this is really like a psychoeducational program of like how to human well and aware. And we have a lot of people, probably 60 to 70% of people come in with some sort of uh, disharmonious, uh, harmonious substance relationship. But we have a lot of people that come in for their their self-relationship, for a relationship with food, um, sex, technology. Like there's just a zillion different ways that we do this thing. And it's a way in which we're running from ourselves or running from a reality that doesn't feel good. So we find these other ways to soothe ourselves. So that's, yeah, that's what the program is. It's just really, it's a deep self-inquiry program and it's a deep collective inquiry program. We do it together. That's so awesome. With addictions, not necessarily being like alcohol or drug related, It can be like so many different things. Um, And I think that's something that like a lot of people don't really like think of when they hear the word addict. They like, like you said earlier, they kind of just picture like what an addict looks like in their head as soon as they hear it. Um, So I think that's like, that's really, really awesome that you have that program and you're kind of coming at it from like all of these different, um, these different like areas. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not, and a lot of people are in AA and then they supplement. Like I'm not against AA. It didn't work for me, but we, I do pull in some, I have still use their one-liners. They're embedded in me for the rest of my life. I think they're little slogans, Um, (laughs) pull in pieces of that as well. It's just, yeah. To be, we all have this addict part of us. It's part of being a human. It's in our wiring the way in which it expresses comes out in many different ways. So the way in which we find our way home to ourselves also is going to be different. So while we all share the same thing, we can't put this formula on everybody. So I think that that's a big component. And it's really just about uh, asking the hard questions and being willing to answer them honestly and listen to what you hear. And that, that, that's a continual recalibration. I'm running a subset course actually starting in January called the wisdom of the shadow. And this is, we're going to look at, you know, it's really just doing some shadow work here and we're pulling in, um, getting some really granular with some of these emotions that we tend to hide. So we're looking at anger, envy, grief, and shame. And these are some of the things that we don't, you know, think anyone's going to clap for. So we don't bring them up to others. We don't often bring them up to ourselves. These are the things that we tend to suppress. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a really beautiful um, exploration and powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, this is, I mean, this is the work. This is the recovery work. It's not about getting sober or about like this one piece, this one thing that happens and you cross this bar and then it's completely done that it's a, it's just, this, it's this constant nonlinear exploration of self. And that is with all of it, all of it. Yeah. 
Um, so kind of you, you touched on this a little bit, um, kind of throughout, uh, the episode, but, um, what, uh, like resources or kind of like support systems, um, <clears throat> would you recommend or the things that worked for you that maybe will like work for somebody else? Um, what would you recommend for individuals interested in kind of integrating, um, yoga and more of like the yogic kind of philosophies into their um either their addiction recovery journey or just into their kind of like daily routine yeah it just kind of depends on what you're interested in and i'm just a big proponent of following your curiosity so if you're interested more on you know the physical side of it the awesome side of it which is a way that a lot of people begin that's like the easiest way in the body being the most tangible thing then finding the teachers that you really resonate with, going to classes more, finding a community. Um, if you are more interested in the meditation side, then, you know, follow that route. I do have, um, if you're looking more for recovery based, which isn't just substance wise on my emerge page, there is a tab called resources. And in there, I've listed a bunch of podcasts that I really have resonated with. There are a lot of like Buddhist podcasts, um, there's a lot of books that have helped me along the way, things like that, but it's just kind of figuring out what, what piques your interest because that curiosity is coming from somewhere and just follow that. Definitely. Follow that, uh, path. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some things kind of starting to close up a little bit, but, um, what are some things, um, that you think that people struggling with addiction would benefit to hear or what's something that like you wish somebody had told you like when you were going through all of that oh you know honestly I feel like people told me everything there, there was there's not much that I feel like I just had to let it play out the way it played out it was more about me not listening um and not being ready to listen but maybe something like I wouldn't have listened to it, but something like, you know, there are things that you cannot see from where you're sitting. Like there's a life and there's possibilities that you can't even imagine. Because I kept, I think that I kept trying to see what I could see and I couldn't see through the lens of the denial that I was in. So I was calling bullshit on everybody saying that like this other life was possible or that it would be like sobriety recovery would be anything I would want. Like I thought it would be horrible. Like I literally was so in denial. And I think just that reminder maybe of like, there's possibilities that you can't even fathom. And just to allow myself to have a, a little bit of opening, leave a little bit of space for possibility, which I wasn't doing. I was trying to know what everything was. Mm -hmm. So I think that that would have been really supportive if I would have listened, but I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> I love that. I feel like that's good for like everyone to hear, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still, I try to tell myself that now still when I'm like, for sure, like, it's like this, it's never going to be like this. Like, I have to watch myself when I use that like black and white language. It'll be like this forever. Yeah. It'll never be like this. Like we just don't know. It's like saying the, the always or never, I feel like is always like, I literally just said always, but <laughs> that's, I feel like something that is kind of 
it's a good a good like trigger word to kind of set off in your brain and be like wait a second is it always like this or like is it never gonna be like this really <laughs> but there's some good red flags yeah for sure um so for people interested in learning more um either about emerge or your yoga classes or trainings or workshops um where can they go to like follow you um or kind of like catch up on what you've been doing yeah i would just head to my main website i've got lots of little things going on but uh, coldchanceyoga.com and that'll have all of it on there. So that has my Emerge program. You can get there from there. Uh, tons of free YouTube classes, um, te yoga teacher trainings. So there's lots of branches from there. Awesome, sweet. Well, thank you so much for being on. As always, you can find me at creatingwithimpact.com or on Instagram at creatingwithimpactpod. You can also check out Creating With Impact on Patreon at patreon.com slash creatingwithimpact, where you can become a subscriber and get all sorts of extra content and resources. 10% of all of our Patreon proceeds benefit Mental Health America, which advances the mental health and well-being of all people living in the U.S. through public education, research, advocacy, and public policy, and direct service. Leave a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast or join our Patreon, and we'll give you a personal shout-out on the show. As always, if you have any stories or successes you'd like to share, or if you'd just like to get in on the conversation, you can email creatingwithimpactpod at gmail.com.